Hi everyone, thank you for joining us today and welcome to Eagle Eye. Every two weeks we'll have exclusive interviews with your favorite BC student athletes, professors, alumni, and more. Make sure to follow The Heights on Instagram and Facebook to suggest guests you want to hear from. You can catch up on the latest headlines on The Heights Facebook page every Monday. I'm Si Yunan, the head editor of Multimedia. I'm Eamon O'Malley, the assistant editor of Multimedia. Today is exciting because we have a special guest, Forbes 30 Under 30 Marketing and Advertising listee and MCAS senior at Boston College, Philip Hiwi Bonhoa. Philip, can you please introduce yourself? So thanks for having me on the podcast. My name is Philip. I am 22 from Los Angeles, California, and I'm a partner at Slope Agency, which is a marketing and design uh, firm. So, you know, it's, it's a bisected company. Half of it is, you know, traditional design agency, whereby we do brand strategy, general branding, website, any design assets that are necessary, ad creatives, et cetera. And then on the marketing side, uh, it's really a full stack marketing agency with kind of an emphasis on some of these newer channels such as TikTok, um, but you know, do everything traditional such as email marketing, Facebook ads, SMS marketing, all that jazz. So thanks for having me again. We're very excited to have you on. Um, what first got you interested in entrepreneurship? Yeah, um, I think I kind of like stumbled into it. Um, you know, in high school, myself and my two friends, this was during the Hillary and Trump election. Um, obviously, there was a lot of heated debate and lots of stuff going on in the news. And we uh, started putting out inflammatory content, poking poking fun at, you know, extremists on, on, on both sides on Facebook. And, you know, every time we put out a post, it'd go very, very viral. Um, you know, thousands of people would be arguing with each other in the comments. And we, we kind of thought it was pretty funny. No real objective there, but, you know, we wanted to turn it into a media company. Uh, failed at that pretty hard, but it was extremely exciting. And, you know, I think the work gave me meaning. I'd get with my two closest guy friends at the end of school every day, and we just spend a couple hours writing stuff. Um, and, you know, the, the content grew, and we had actually pretty large fan base eventually. Um, I remember when it kind of crystallized and I realized I loved entrepreneurship. I was in bed and I got a Snapchat from a friend who was in London at the time and she was doing an exchange program and she had met someone from, I think they were from New York doing the same exchange program. Um, and they were a fan of, of the content that we put out as well. And she's like, look, he's a, he's a fan of your guys' content. I was like, wow, this is, this is actually real. Um, and then, then I kind of became addicted. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you started building companies at a young age. Um, first, Abacus Growth, um, which was acquired by Slope last year. Um, Publis, which became Rethink, um, and so much more. Um, I'll associate around like tech industry, cloud storage, and um, as you said, digital advertising. Um, what motivated your focus towards technology and what was your process like in starting those projects um, from the jump? Yeah, I, I kind of got dragged into tech. Um, I, you know, I mentioned I was doing stuff within media and, and, and putting on like blog content. Um, but I had a friend named Will Herring who was your traditional, uh, call it like young coding whiz kid. He'd like, you know, got on a job at Facebook when he was 15. Um, and had been working in San Francisco, um, I think every summer subsequently. And then he ended up leaving, leaving college to build Publist. And he brought me on as number two, um, because Publist was geared towards the new space. And he thought it'd be fun with my experience from the, the previous blog that I had. Um, and then when I got there, 
I really fell in love with the, like startups, the way the companies work, the people that I was surrounded with. Um, and yeah, it kind of just crystallized that way. Um, not much else more. I guess I fell into the rabbit hole and I haven't, haven't left since. So you've actually managed to build a large social following through Abacus and partner with large companies such as Forbes, Lego, and Gravity Blanket. What was your process like initiating these collaborations? Yeah, um, I think the common denominator of a lot of my responses today is going to be like, I got extremely lucky. Um, with Abacus, I first got started. So I joined this thing called Dorm Room Fund, which is student venture capital. And the person whose position I replaced um, had an agency himself. His name's Horace. Um, and Horace kind of gave me the whole rundown of what a services business looks like. I was very unaware of services business at the time. Um, I, you know, thought all businesses were startups and you started a company like you'd start a startup when in reality, that's not the case for the majority of, of enterprise. Um, but he explained to me what services business were and it sounded like something that'd be very interesting and something I could do while I was in school. Um, so as soon as we were done meeting, uh, I told him I was gonna start Abacus. Obviously I didn't have the name for it at the time, but I told him I wanna start an agency. Um, and he had mentioned that, you know, from his previous days in agency, he still gets companies come to him every once in a while. And he'll usually pass those off because he's no longer running his company. Um, so maybe like three days later, I started Abacus. Um, and I told him that I wanted clients. And probably a week after that, he brought me my first client, which was a really large client. It was uh, the Emerson Collective, which is Steve Jobs' widow's uh, nonprofit. And I was way out of my league there. Um, so I brought on my friend Trevor, uh, who was my counterpart at Dorm Room Fund at the time. Um, he had a lot of experience. He was at Shopify early on in this other startup called Clearbit. And I was like, hey, let's just do this together and, you know, we can split it up. And that ended up going very well. Um, we had the idea of, you know, let's tell people within our network that we're doing this kind of freelance consulting. And that eventually evolved into Abacus growing, us leaving what we were planning to do for the summer and going full-time on Abacus. Um, so how did those other collaborations come about? Forbes was a referral from a previous client we work with, um, Gravity Blankets and Lego. Those were actually us doing cold outreach um, when we got on TikTok and were one of the first people advertising there and found some success. Uh, I think the first thing I realized was there's a massive opportunity here and there was no one really playing in the market, but everyone wanted to figure out TikTok. So immediately hired um, two salespeople to, to start hitting the lines, as they say, um, and, you know, took a loss those two months and then everyone was interested in trying out TikTok. And then I guess the rest was the selling process, but uh, Forbes lended a lot of credibility for sure. Yeah, it's it's really cool to hear how much you've networked. I mean, growing your business through like collaborating with other people. Um, and you mentioned TikTok. Obviously, that's been a huge um like spike in interest over the last year. Um, how has that affected your business and how you um, operate on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. Um, so like TikTok is the reason why we got Abacus got acquired. Um, so I owe a lot to TikTok as a platform. Um, in terms of how it's affected my day-to-day, -day, I'd say of our marketing revenue, you know, probably 70% of it is from the TikTok channel. So it's our, our largest service offering on the marketing side of things. I am I, not that involved with sales anymore, but when I am looped into sales calls, it's uh, kind of, it's usually for TikTok. So a decent bit of my day, probably two hours a day, at least is involved in like selling TikTok. And then probably an additional hour and a half is 
about talking about TikTok with the people on our team and our accounts and how they're doing. So it's definitely constantly on my mind. Ironically, I actually don't use TikTok <laughs> at all. Um, I have it downloaded, but it's like my least used social media. Um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure why that's the case, but uh, I have a lot of people that, that work at Slope that they do use it a lot. So there's that. <laughs> they keep me updated on the trends. Yeah, that's so funny because it's definitely hard to keep track of all the trends that come on TikTok. But actually, what is the largest sector that you are curious about right now? And like, what are some of the things that you're currently researching? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think something that's really interesting, and there's like two things. Um, this whole like creator economy is super interesting. Um, you know, in doing the work at Abacus, become close with a few of these creators and work with a lot of companies that service creators. Um, that's a very, very interesting space. The fact that a lot of these really young people are able to make money very quickly. Um, you know, we, we work with this company called, uh, called Carrot and uh, they are credit card for creators. And the reason why they're a credit card for, for creators is that, you know, these creators are making you know, 50, 100, 200, 300,000 a month and they're cash rich, but they have no, no credit. So their credit card limits are like $5,000 a month or something like that. So they end up accumulating like 20, 30 credit cards. Um, I've, I've met this guy, he had like, he has a binder full of all the credit cards that he's, that he's gone through because he spends a lot of money. Um, but he has, he can't get his limits raised. So they're solving that. I think like problems like that are really interesting. I also think elder tech is super interesting. Um, from a historical trend, we're going to be within the next 20, 30 years, having like the largest, you know, aging demographic and you know there's a lot of solutions that need to be solved for i think or a lot of problems that need to be solved for um within the the elder care space there's this company called papa um where it's literally uber you can like you can pay by the hour to like spend time with someone younger if you're older i think it like solves a lot of loneliness problems it's really really interesting i have like some like moral qualms but also like i think it, it is an interesting solution um you know innovation and those two areas are things that I'm, I'm pretty interested about. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that sounds really cool. Um, and also alternatively, um, what do you think is your biggest failure and how did you learn from it? Kind of a loaded question, but yeah. Um, yeah, this is a pretty, I feel like I get asked this question a lot and like, I, I never have like a, a concrete answer of like a single singular instance of failure. I feel like the majority of my larger failures have been, uh, small habits that have kind of compounded over like a longer period of time. So at least when I was like starting Abacus and, you know, we started making some money and had a couple employees, like there's definitely like in an era where I was like extremely complacent and I wasn't working, um, to the extent that I should have been. And, you know, those little things started to creep up on me and the definitely contributing factors as to why my initial co-founder left, um, definitely contributing factors as to why, you know, a couple things went like a couple accounts went sour early on. Um, and I think that, you know, everyone always, you know, espouses the the value of learning from failure, but ultimately um, those, I guess, like repeated little bad habits mounted to the, the, a larger failure, which I recognized and had to learn from and then have, I guess, a mentality and habit change, which I think is on, oftentimes, you know, harder to do than having like one large actualized failure and then and then rebounding from it. Um, because, you know, when something's ingrained in you and it, and it is a habit and it's, you know, something that you wanna, wanna kick, it's, uh, 
it's not it's it's like a very like steadfast like daily what's the word like effort that's required to break those um so that's that's something that i'd say is probably like biggest failures just a couple things that have been repetitive that i've been trying to improve upon and still am to this day this is kind of a fun question. If you had an extra hundred million dollars added to your budget right now, how would you spend it and why? Oof. Um, <laughs> I would, uh, I'd probably take 10% of it and I'd gamble it. Um, <laughs> uh, I would take probably 60% of it and then I'd put it into very risky investment classes like polka dot the cryptocurrency i'm a big fan of this cryptocurrency called polka dot um i then take the remaining portions and i put it in extremely safe etfs <laughs> um but i would gamble a lot of it um and like i probably gamble 10 million dollars playing blackjack and then i put 40 million dollars into alternative asset classes like polka dots ethereums and then and bitcoins etc um and then the, the other 15 mil i i I'd keep safe in gold and probably s p <laughs> yeah that's awesome um and uh what advice would you give someone hoping to pursue a career or start a business in the advertising industry yeah in the advertising industry um you know i think one thing like the first piece of advice i'd give to someone who just wants to start is like gain experience however you can um the ways i learned quickest were just surrounding myself with people who have been doing marketing advertising for you know 20 plus years, 10 plus years, or were like the, the gurus at the time of, you know, whatever they were doing and just absorbing and mimicking everything they did. Um, and then spending a lot of time educating yourself as well. I think that's super important. Like I didn't have the luxury of having taken, you know, a full marketing degree or something when I went out and started Publis. So, you know, I spent an additional like three or four hours a day of my, like after my work day, educating myself on like what the hell even marketing is. Um, and then that in pair with like, being exposed to people who were really good at it, uh, I think is like the fastest teacher. So that'd be the first thing I'd say is like, you know, just get get your hands dirty as quickly as you can by any means possible. Even if it's starting your own thing, like built, like putting up a e-commerce site. Like I think for like $200, you can put up a drop shipping jewelry website and then figure out ways to get people to buy from you. And like, that's probably where you'll learn the quickest. And then, you know, obviously surround yourself in environments that have process built out. I think that's one thing that I lacked a ton of was like, I had never worked for an org larger than like 300 people. Um, so when I was starting Abacus and then moved over to Slope, like the internal processes that we had in place were pretty janky. Um, and at Slope, they're not janky, but at Abacus, they're very janky. And I think Slope having Jeffrey and Kareen been at, you know, companies that have been very large and Kareen was really early at a firm and, uh, taking industry best practice and applying it to your small business is very important. So I would go some work somewhere that's large and learn a lot quickly. And then if you want to start your own thing, go start your own thing. That's how, that's how I'd redo it if I wanted to do it again. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'm sure this is something you hear a lot, but it's really hard to believe that you're still like a student at Boston College and you're doing all of this. Um, but now that you're in your final semester at BC and you're about to enter the quote unquote real world, what are your future plans and where do you hope to take Slope in the coming years? Yeah. Um, so we're going to stay at Slope, um, hoping to scale more. We have a couple um, interesting things we're working on in the 
um, in the venture capital space. So hopefully we'll be able to speak about that a bit more liberally by the end of the year. Um, so yeah, the, working on a lot of exciting things. You know, I've personally removed myself a, a decent bit from the agency day to day to kind of spearhead these these alternative initiatives. But Slope is going to soon become a, a three headed snake, and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so in terms of you know what I'm looking forward to in the future and what I'll be doing, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick at Slope and continue to grow it and hopefully make it a pretty interesting uh, a venture a venture fund maybe in the in the potential future. Thank you so much. Um, we're so honored to have you here. This is only our fourth episode, so we knew from the get go that we wanted to bring you on. Um, so thank you great. again. Well, it was great. It was great being on the show, and I, I wish you guys the best of luck continuing this podcast. I hope I hope it grows. Thank you again to Philip for joining us. We hope everyone enjoyed our interview and thanks for listening to Eagle Eye today, featuring Forbes 30 under 30 marketing and advertising listee and Boston College senior, Philip Hui Bonhoa. Be sure to keep up with the latest episodes of Eagle Eye featuring prominent guests from Boston College, as well as our THR videos posted on the Heights Facebook page every Monday for Boston College's latest news. Also make sure to keep up with our social media at BC Heights on Instagram and Twitter and the Heights on Facebook. Don't forget to give us suggestions on who you want to hear from and what you want to hear about. Thank you everyone for listening and be sure to check back here in two weeks for another episode of Eagle Eye.